everybody, this is Dan Wolf, PJ Black, and you are listening to Pro Wrestling Post Podcast. You are listening to the Pro Wrestling Post Podcast with Mark Madison. In this episode, the guest is Dan Wolf, PJ Black, formerly known as Justin Gabriel. Visit ProWrestlingPost.com for interviews, blogs, and upcoming events in your area. You can find a podcast on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you prefer. And now, here's Mark Madison. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by the daredevil, PJ Black, uh, formerly Justin Gabriel in the WWE. Um, Thanks again, PJ, for joining us, and we do appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And it's Darewolf, not Daredevil. But I- oh, the Darewolf. Oh, well, see, that's a good thing that that we're doing this and we're catching all those mistakes. Um, so maybe getting started a little earlier on, um, how would you describe, this is the interesting part because uh, you're South African, um, how, how would you describe the wrestling scene maybe when you got started and if you would say that there necessarily is a developing wrestling scene in South Africa? Not many people know this. Uh, South Africa was a, an unofficial territory. Remember in the 80s when there were territories? You had New York and you had Texas. South Africa was kind of like an unofficial territory where a lot of guys used to come, stay for like six, seven, eight months. I remember being a kid, I used to watch Under the Giant, and Hogan used to come job to our champion all the time, you know, but there was an internet back then or YouTube, so no one knew about any of this stuff. Um, it, if you speak to anyone like Undertaker, who did that territory, Actually, some of his first matches were in the South African Territory, and guys like Fitzgerald, Rigo, you know, guys like like that have been along for around for a long time, and they all spent time in South Africa. It kind of died out in '99. Um, it's starting to make a comeback now. Now that pro wrestling is so popular on TV again with all the different products and companies, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to take a while to build up to what it used to be. Um. Now, from what we were aware of, uh, another former alumni uh, was someone you worked with, kind of came up. Um, maybe how did that Ray, uh, the relationship with uh, Ray LePan work out early on? Okay, so my dad had a wrestling promotion and a wrestling school. Uh, Ray, um, <laughs> every day I got back from school, I, I heard a kid like jumping around. and like, We had two wrestling rings in our backyard, and I heard a kid running around in the ring, so I guess he just jumped the fence, and he was just a huge wrestling fan at the time. We were both like 15, 16, so I was like, cool, I can practice some moves on this kid, so uh, we just kind of became friends, and from there we became a tag team. Oh, that's great. Um, the name Pure Juice? Where did, how did that kind of... <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's an awesome question. No one ever asks, asks that. So, so PJ is Pure Juice, right? Right. And, um, uh, he used to wrestle, Ray used to wrestle as Presley Jackson, which is also PJ. Ah. So we're trying to, we, we try to come up with a name that, that's, that was abbreviated into PJ, and Pure Juice is what we came up with. <laughs> interesting, interesting. <laughs> um, I'm sure if there's any companies out there selling a type of juice, what a great way to market, the, the Darewolf. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, now... Funny enough, and explore exploring some of your background, maybe you could clarify because sometimes the internet tends to fudge things. Um, but it said somewhere along the lines you um, channeled uh, Inspector Clouseau and became the Pink Panther. 
Or how does that play itself out? That, no, that, that was my dad, actually. That was my dad's gimmick. Oh, okay. Okay. Because um. uh, we, we have the same name. That, that PJ also stands for Paul Jr. Mm. So, like, because everyone got me and my dad confused when I was young, so that, that I just became known as PJ. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was probably my dad's name. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, now, it also mentions, um, you did mention that your dad did, um, did run a promotion, but he was also partly responsible for training you. Um, how would you say that the training between what you received with him and, say, the Sloans was different? And then if you were to compare those two instances to what you got when you were training in the developmental promotion in the, the WWE coming up? Oh, yeah, they were all completely different and unique. You know, like, uh, as you know, there's many styles of wrestling. You get the, the, the British chain wrestling, you get the Japanese strong style wrestling, and then there's the Lucha Libre style of wrestling. And there's also the American style of wrestling. What's cool is when I got taught, South Africa doesn't really have its own style. So my dad used to travel a lot, so he taught me all the different styles. And that's what I did. I took a little bit of every single style, and I just created my own hybrid style. And I'm not taking credit for this, but that's the style that all the kids on the Indies are doing today. Um, what was it that you walked away from each one of those experiences? Would you say that um, was it more refined further along when you came to the U.S.? Or... Was it more fundamentals when you were just growing up? Well, it was a bit of both, you know. Like you learn, even even till today, I learned something new every single day. Um, right before Eddie Guerrero died, he told me that he still learned every, something new every single day. And I mean, to me, he was one of the best. So, like you know, in South Africa, what I learned from my dad, even though it was a, a mixed styles that I learned um, from the from FCW, uh, FWA in the UK and Mark Sloan. From those guys, I learned something completely different. And then when I came to the U.S., um, I already had all the, the fundamentals, but like the, the things that I learned at FCW, you know, about, I don't know if I can use this word, but like backstage politics and the culture and like how to present yourself to promoters and stuff like that, that, that was like probably the most valuable stuff I've ever learned. Okay. Um, and you're totally fine to say politics because uh, sometimes we'd say marketing, uh, getting your name out there. Um, who you know, but it, they're all relevant. Um, while the UK wrestling scene has uh, has really blown up, I would say over the last few years, I know that uh, WWE is really pushing uh, a UK or developing UK division. But before it became what it is, it, um, you maybe cut your teeth earlier on working out um, in the earlier part of Millennium. What could you say? Uh, can you could you have foreseen then the popularity that it's evolved into now? No, like when when I was there, I knew it was going to turn into something big. I didn't know it was going to turn into what it is today, um, and I don't think anyone could have projected that. But it, it's pretty cool to see how it evolved and how far it's come. I definitely knew that back then it was going to be something big. But then the two there were only two promotions back then, and the one shut down right after I left. So I didn't think that anyone else was going to pick that up. But you know, fast forward ten years later, now there's like ten, twenty. I think. I think even 30 big promotions in the UK. And that's pretty cool for us because you know, there's tons of work. That you, can, you can literally work seven days a week if you want it to in the UK. What is it about it, do you think, that's, that stands out makes it as prominent as it's become? It, I mean, they have a lot of young up-and-coming stars and already a lot of young established stars. When I was there in 2001 to 2005, they had, they had maybe only three or four big names at the time. 
Um, two of those guys retired, and those two guys are still young. And recently, they all got back into the the wrestling business, if you will, which is really cool, you know. And but they have already they have so many good names, like there's so much talent out there. It's like it's, it's hard to keep up with, you know. There's like a, a few names: Marty Scurll, Will Osprey, those guys who, who are now, you know, they've never been on WWE TV or TNA TV, but they're legit. Like you can ask any wrestling fan, and they will know who that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, no doubt. Um, now, in, in being the first South African signed uh, to a WWE deal, um, it was it was reported it was a, a three-year deal. Um, logistics of the the length isn't really what we're going with, but uh, what would you say maybe your initial plans when you first came in to the developmental as opposed to when you sought out and were kind of brought up? Did the plans for you change? Did one look for for the character? Uh, was it one way? Did it evolve? Oh, yeah. I mean, the things, the, just like the wrestling business, things change daily. So, like, my first goal was just to get signed. Right. You know? And then once I got to follow that championship wrestling, which was the, the developmental territory at the time, all I wanted to do was, was just learn the American way of wrestling. You know, like, they, they taught us, like, promos and where the hard cams were, stuff like that. So all, that's all I wanted to do was learn that and then develop my character. And then, obviously, we had Gusty at the time who helped. I miss that guy so much, but he helped us out so much with, like, character stuff and promos and you know like the little things in between wrestling matches and wrestling moves if you will mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's kind of like just developed from there and it's, 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 I've actually gone further than I thought I would in, in, uh, in FCW and uh, it was just a fun ride for me that was probably the most fun I've had in wrestling because I just moved to the US I, you know I had no, no bills to pay I didn't have rent I didn't have a car nothing like I literally just wrestled every day and to me that was, that was my dream just to wrestle every day and get, get, we got a paycheck every week just to go to training, go to gym, and wrestle. So for me, that was already, like, my dream was already made. And then 10, 10 months later, I got pulled onto WWE TV, and I was just like, oh, wow, this is great. Like, I didn't even think about anything at the time. I didn't think how, how great it was and, like, what I've done in my life. I was just, like, having so much fun and getting paid a ton of money for it. Oh, outstanding. Um now, when fans saw you on you know major television as opposed to maybe exposure through FCW, um, you were part of major factions, uh, the Nexus, the Core, then part of tag teams as well. Um, as as uh, successful you are as a signal singles, what did you learn from working collaboratively with those different groups? What did you feel had to come together in order for something to be successful? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you learn something every day from from someone and. If you're in a group, you learn from, you know, the six, seven people collectively. Um, even in tag teams, you learn, because it's a different style of wrestling, you know, it's like a different different format, mm-hmm. different structure of matches and stuff like that. You know, and it was cool because the, the Nexus guys that I was in a group with, we legit had a, a close bond. Like, all of us, we still speak almost every day today. Um, so, like, I learned from them, not only, like, wrestling stuff, but, you know, like, just stuff in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, you know, stuff that I'll take to the grave with me. <laughs> and maybe, maybe we'll get a Dexter's reunion someday, who knows? <laughs> um, uh, did you and, I guess, uh, Wade or Stu um, cross paths uh, before you even came in? Because you said there's life, and both of you having to come over to North America. Um, yeah. No, we, we never did, unfortunately, but um, the, the, 
Drew McIntyre, Seamus, and Steve Weber, we, uh, all of us, we knew the same group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I already left England when they broke into the business. I've been doing this for like 22 years. I think all of them probably around 10, 10 maybe, 15 years, maybe. Wow. So I kind of already left, but we, already, we all know this, knew the same people. We worked the same people. So like when we did meet in, in the FCW, it was like we knew each other already. Um. Now, um, thanks for correcting me earlier. The uh, the Darewolf themed concept. Um, it was uh, I think you had said it on the the Jericho podcast that it didn't necessarily meet the approval um, because of I'm not really sure what it was. But um, is there can we see similarities in what you maybe had projected or the ideas then to what we see on television now with you? Yes, I mean we can do a lot of stuff that I had in mind that I wanted to do. But, I mean, that was also, like, three years ago. So, again, it's evolved into what it is today. Like, right. every every week, every month, I, I add some new stuff to the character. And I think the character has just become, like, an extended version of me. You know, like, when we ca- when I came up with it, I actually, Twilight was really big at the time. And, pe- and the kids on Twitter called me Cape Town Werewolf. So I kind of <laughs> liked the werewolf. But I was also, like, I was very attracted to the darewolf, daredevil character. You know, like a modern-day eagle to needle. Right. So I just combined the two words, the daredevil and werewolf, and that's where daredevil comes from. Um, what would you say your initial concepts, because I guess it was taken from Twilight, but how, how have you found that it's evolved? It's evolved into, it, like, so at first I wanted to be like a mythical creature, like a werewolf, you know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't exist, but the, 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 world, the, the word daredevil didn't exist either, so I kind of, I made that up, so it's legit like a made-up, like I said, it's a version of me, like, the wolf is one of the, the few animals that, that uh, you won't see in the circus. It's not like a trained animal, like a lion or the elephant or anything like that. The, the wolf kind of like does, does his own thing. So I guess the devil's character is just, you know, someone who does something his own way. And, um, you know, I mean, if you go onto my Instagram, you can see how I live my life. You know, I do a bunch of skydiving and base jumping and stuff like that. And I don't really like follow well, I mean, that's a good point, because when you think about it, um, a werewolf tends to have a bit of an allure about them. There's a bit of a mystique. Um, it's kind of haunting and a little bit, but then there's an edge to it. So I I can see it. I can definitely see it. Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> um, so now, after you uh, left the WWE, you worked for different promotions, um, such as Evolve. Uh, what did you find to be the biggest change artistically for you, uh, where you were to where you went? Yeah, so the, the, the indie style obviously has evolved into, into what we know now. Is that, I mean, I wouldn't call it like spark fest, but it's a, a much faster paced wrestling with much bigger moves and, um, you know, like the, it's like this, the, the style that's kind of appealing to people right now, which the, which the 205 Live, the WWE 205 Live brand is, is kind of, has kind of adapted to. Um, it was pretty cool, but I had to retrain my brain to do that style because like, the first few matches, you know, you're kind of like in the, the WWE like, um, formula of putting matches together. Um, I remember my very first match at Evolve. I can remember like going out there and you know, like the fans were, <laughs> the whole front row, there was like 10 dudes with uh, Bullet Club shirts on. <laughs> and when I, when I came out, they kind of like just sat on their hands and they, they had no reaction in the first two minutes of the match. And, you know, like that's the worst thing that can happen as a performer. Like if there's no reaction. Like if people boo you, that's great. If people cheer you, that's even better. But if there's zero reaction, that's like that's the absolute worst thing that can happen. So with 
within two minutes of that match, I was like, man, I'm going to have to change up everything. So, like, that's where it clicked for me. And uh, I just, uh, I can remember doing my comeback, doing, like, three dives in a row, and I'm like, throwing the guy in and doing, like, three crossbody, three moonsaults, which is a little bit overkill. But then all of those guys stood up and gave me, like, a standing ovation. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to completely change my style. Because I know, I know I can do all these things. It's just a different way of storytelling, you know. It's like a different psychology almost. Because if, if, if you watch... New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. I mean, the matches are, are totally different to, to a WWE match, and it's just it's, it's it's still pro wrestling and it's still storytelling. It's just like a slightly different psychology, and uh, I find that too. Like wherever you go, if you go to Europe now, and if you go to Japan, you have to kind of like adapt to whatever the fans want. Um, now you had said you you kind of had to push the envelope right away to get people to notice. Uh, does that having to change the switch? Um, that communication in the ring between you and your opposition, did they have to pick up on the fact that, okay, you know what, we're changing gears, um, and are they able to read that? Oh, yeah, uh, that, that's what's so cool about uh, the guys on the independence. Like, I think I was in the ring with Caleb Con- Connolly, and he, he immediately knew, you know, like, you know, guys like that, like, coming fresh off TV and stuff like that, I mean, they kind of, like, just listen to me in the back, they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And instead of be like, yo, no, this is this is how we do things on the Indies, and, you know, out of respect, they were like, no, we'll just follow your plan. And when I was in the ring, I was like, okay, we're going to have to change gears. And he kind of like just smiled, because he already knew, he knew that uh, that's <laughs> what it was going to take. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if, if that would have happened if I was in there with anybody else, but he, he immediately knew that we were going to do things differently. And I, I feel like most of the kids on the Indies that I wrestle, like, have a very good concept of, how to put matches together and how to switch psychology on the fly and which is great like i mean it's really good for wrestling that's that's why wrestling is evolving that's why we're where we're at right now do you think it's because some of them are training at such a young age that they've they've they're in their early 20s but yet they're doing this when they're 13 14 they've already got about 10 years worth of experience exactly i mean that that's partly why but i think also because so when i was young i remember like Stuff that my dad couldn't teach me. I would go like I would find old VHS tapes and I would watch it over and over and then run out to the ring and practice it. But now my kids have phones and there's YouTube. You can literally just YouTube a character or a wrestler that you like or a move or anything and just like study it on there and then go practice it. So like there's more there's more information available because of the internet and YouTube and stuff. Um, now, as part of Lucha Underground, it's um, it's let yourself. Uh, to a number of different opportunities. Uh, what would you say you've maybe most enjoyed about working with that particular promotion? Just just, just working there in general. I mean, all the guys are great. Uh, the, the staff, like, you know, the, the backstage people, like everyone, uh, even the whole crew, because uh, the crew, it's a movie crew, right? So they, most of them didn't know anything about wrestling. So when we did the matches the first time I got there, the whole crew, they were so fascinated. They were like, wow, you guys did all the stunts in one take. Like, they come from a movie background where in the movies you do the stunts, like you maybe do two, three hundred takes from different angles. And, you know, in wrestling, when you do a match, there's, there's literally you have one take. And that was cool to see their actions. And most of them turned into wrestling fans and now watch WWE and TNA and they watch all the other products out there, which is great. Uh, but, yeah, like just the overall experience, like the, just working with new people and working with guys like, Johnny Mundo and Rey Mysterio and, and Ricochet and he uh, top to bottom the card. Like I don't think there's one guy that I never enjoyed working with. Um, from a fan's perspective, the production alone, like the finished product, 
um, and how they're filmed. It's just it definitely captures your attention and uh, um, hopefully more good things for them coming along. Um, oh, totally. I believe it. I believe it. And, and that, like I said, it's because it's shot like a TV show, not a wrestling company. And you know, a lot of wrestling fans will will, will list the, the, the negatives of it. But I mean, you can't look at it like that. You can't look at it as another wrestling promotion. You know, TNA, all they do is try to copy WWE, and that's cool. Like, uh, Lucha Underground's not trying to copy anything. Like, um, like we go to like the movie conventions, you know, like we're... Uh, we attract a lot of fans that people that watch like Breaking Bad and like Game of Thrones and people like that who have never seen wrestling but they enjoy the show and again we turn them into wrestling fans because when I speak to them later at conventions they're like oh yeah I just caught up on like some Monday Night Raw or, like Smackdown Live uh, it's it, it seems interesting in that that even that they pull some of the traditional or, or the origins uh, of some of the lucha and really instill that to separate itself from from whatever else we see on television. Yeah, exactly, because if, if you think about the, the Lucha Libre uh, culture, the lifestyle, it, that's that's what it is. That's what it's about, right? And the masks and the characters and the background stories and stuff like that. So I think that it's cool that they used so much of it and, and just turn it into this amazing uh, TV show. And it, obviously it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot sci-fi based too because, you know, one of the characters is a dragon and one character is a time traveler. So it's very different to modern-day WWE, which is more like a, you know, they, two years ago it used to be the reality era where they try to make everything as real as possible. I feel like Lucha, they just try and make everything as, I don't even know what word I can use, like, as mystic as possible, mm -hmm. sci-fi as possible. <laughs> okay. Um, and now throughout your career, you've faced a number of men, and, and you've been in the ring with some women as well? Uh, yeah, one or two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, was there one match that maybe fans would say flew under the radar uh, under your? I mean, under your guys, they could say, "Wow, you know, when when uh, PJ Black was in the ring with, that was just magic." But there's one. Is there one or two, whether singles or tag, that you said everything clicked and didn't get that kind of appreciation? It was just solid from top to bottom. Yeah. Maybe the, the seven, eight, ten thousand fans in the crowd got to experience that. Um, one match that personally was my favorite was a match I did against Hunico on Superstars. Hmm. And like, if you go deep into the internet and, and search it, you can probably find it. But that's one, you know, like, we're all our own worst critics. And whenever I watch something, I'm like, oh, I should have done that or I could have done that better. But that's one match that I look at, I'm like, wow, no, every step was perfect. Every single thing was perfect there. Um, another match which I really, really enjoyed was. Uh, uh, Justin Gable, when I was in the core, was against Edge. And uh, as we know, Edge retired World Heavyweight Champion. And he didn't lose any matches. Like, I don't know what the, what the period of time was. Basically, uh, retired, undefeated. But he did lose one match against Justin Gable. It was a non-title match. Um, and uh, they, they, they eventually cut like 11 minutes out of the match on TV because that's when SmackDown was still uh, pre-recorded. Uh -huh. But yeah, that, that match stands out to me. I mean... I'm actually going to see if I can get a, a copy of it from the office and uh, maybe upload it to a DVD one day or something. Yeah, do it, do it. Um, unedited version because we, you know, from yes. to cut out 11 minutes, that's a whole lot of the story that you don't get. Right, exactly. Cut out the, the whole story, the whole <laughs> psychology change. Um, competing, now just recently, it said that you've competed for the NWA, uh, making a return facing Nick Aldis. 
Okay, um, now... Nick, Nick, Nick did like a five-minute open challenge at a, one of the shows, and, you know, like, a bunch of guys came out, and he squashed them within a few minutes, and I was like, yeah, I was in the area, so I, I took the challenge. Not only did I last five minutes, I almost beat him, so now I, uh, I get a, a full match, a title match, at an upcoming show, and it'll probably be like an ROH TV taping or something. That's outstanding. NWA doesn't have, yeah, NWA doesn't have their own, like, uh, brand or, or TV show or anything. I mean, they have the YouTube show, The Ten Pounds of Gold, but I kind of like what they're doing on that, too, and how they take Nick Elvis to all these different promotion territories, and, you know, trying to make it like, like the old-school territories. Well, and, and that kind of segues into the, quest, into the question, um, how does it feel, e- even if it's if it's once, if it becomes something long-standing, to be even associated with a promotion that's that's had a history of long-standing. I know it closed down, became WCW, but still the NWA umbrella. Um, to be part of something that has that, do you also see if, how did that feel? How is there any longer-term plans for yourself um, to do any other work with them? For sure, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely, so, I definitely have the match, like all this schedule, the, the championship match, which um, where they gave me a couple of dates to hold open, but nothing set in stone yet, but it will happen. It's definitely going to happen, and I, I, I'll tell them that I'd be open to working more dates for them. Um, I kind of love what they're doing with the branding, and you know, like that they have the old-school NWA belt, which is cool, you know, like as a kid, that, that's the belt that, that Ric Flair had and Dusty Rhodes, and like, you know, that era. Mm-hmm. To me, that was like the coolest era in wrestling, so to be a part of that is that's pretty amazing. Well, you know, uh, we September is a long ways away to speculate. Uh, but yesterday they had announced that the that Cody Rhodes would challenge whomever the champion, the NWA champion is, at all one. Um, it'd be really interesting to see if that ends up being you, and and hopefully that may come to fruition. Well, you never know. Um, if I can have my way, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, I just have to get through this one obstacle called Nick Aldis, but uh, I, I, think, I think I can do it. Um, you have a degree in sports science. Correct, yes. Now, what plans, you've been at this for 20 years and um, still young, what plans post-wrestling career do you, do you hope to carry with you? Do you hope to still follow in it? Do you hope to explore your sports um science degree and, and use that towards something? Um, you know what, I, I thought about this a lot lately. Um, I, actually, I have a master's and I, I thought about getting my, my PhD just so people can legit call me doctor, but I, I, oh, I haven't nice. used it in so long. I don't know how stuff like that works. I don't know if I have to go study again. Um, I, I kind of like, I knew I was going to be a wrestler when I was eight years old. I just, I went to college to make my mom happy because she thought I was never going to make money in wrestling. You know, that was, was good. I'm glad I did it so that I have something to fall back on if I needed it. And I could always go back to it this, this wrestling. You know, if I got injured or I'm, I'm, I have to retire from wrestling. But I, I, I actually have a few other opportunities to. I, you know, I started a few businesses with my girlfriend and I, I started a few online shops and uh, that, 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 that will be very sustainable in the, in the next few months. And I hope, hopefully that will bring me, you know, a better future, not a better future than wrestling, but it's, just, it's, it's kind of like fun projects that's also making a little bit of, bit of money. And uh, um, I've kind of like made one shop into a, a wrestling merch shop. Like it started out as a wrestling merch shop, and then it kind of turned into a pop culture shop, which is also very lucrative at the moment. But uh, yeah, and I, I invest in, in a bunch of startup companies. So, you know, it was one of my buddies, like one of my buddies said, 
few more years of wrestling left. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, was there anything you would like to promote, encourage, make fans aware of as it relates to the Darewolf PJ Black and for 2018 and beyond? Yeah, um, all the information is on my website. If you go to uh, www.darewolf.me, you can find some cool merch on there. You can find my, my links to my social media and also my YouTube. There's a bunch of cool stuff on my YouTube. Some of my favorite independent matches I've uploaded onto my YouTube channel. Some of my favorite skydiving and base jumping videos is on there. I shoot a lot of stuff, too, for GoPro and Red Bull. Um, all that stuff is on, on there, too. But, uh, um, yeah, everything, all the links are on uh, airwolf.me. Outstanding. Uh, before we let you go, we were just curious if you'd be interested in the little game. Sure. Okay, so the game is called Wrestling Tinder. Uh, much like... <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta trademark that one, but um, <laughs> but I do hashtag it. Uh, it's much like regular Tinder. If you're interested, you swipe right. If you're not interested, you swipe left. Okay. Okay. So I'll throw out a topic. If you're interested, you'll swipe right, and then we can just explore the topic a little bit. And if you're not, I gotta I gotta scour my brain for something real quick. So hopefully it it works out. Okay, so um, independent wrestlers that cross the line. Oh, swipe right. Okay, so uh, it, recently, uh, I would almost want to say within the last four to six weeks, there was um, an independent showing where uh, a heel character came out, uh, and they were playing their part, um, uh, chastising the crowd, but uh, one character maybe crossed the line, and he actually spat on a little girl, um, to which the father enraged chased um the character towards the ring and um and security had to get involved um do you find that there's a line between where you can because ta fans can't jump the rail because whatever comes their way they're asking for it but this is this was as they were going towards the ring i remember i remember seeing the clip actually and um hard in the day and age that we live in right now, you know, because it's very hard for a heel to get to get real heat, and I feel like the guy probably did that thinking he would get real heat, but the, that's also something that you cannot do, because, you know, in the day and age that we live in now, like, everyone has phones, and, like, you know, like, everyone's so thin-skinned lately, so you have to be very careful of what you say and what you do, because that, that stuff can be uploaded, I mean, that could went viral, and mm -hmm. everyone, you know, and everyone will, will have a different opinion on this, you know, like, um, no one will... No two people will have the same opinion on this. I bet you if you put a poll up right now and, and you ask people if they agree with it or not agree with it, like, I mean, there's zero chance that 100% people will agree or 100% people will disagree because we all have different opinions. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very hard in this day and age to to get heat as a heel. I don't think personally he should have done that. Or maybe, even if you ask him, I think maybe it was just a spur of the moment thing and he would have done things differently if he had the opportunity. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I totally don't agree with uh, totally agree with what he did there, but in, in a way, I can also see like what he was trying to do. Yeah, so kind of very diplomatic in that sense. <laughs> um, I, I remember seeing a clip of Lance Hoyt uh, in Japan, and he just leaned over a railing and growled at a child, and they cried, but he didn't touch them, and his, the father was laughing hysterically, and the, the child is bawling his eyes out. But I think there, that was all fair game. I couldn't help but laugh because he's doing his job, right? He's trying to generate the heat. He actually generated fear, but so. Exactly, exactly. And, and that, as a heel, it's, it's sometimes very 
Uh, I'm pretty sure the dad kind of regretted it too, but in the spur of the moment, he got like super hot. So. Yeah. <laughs> On behalf of PJ Black, this is Mark Madison thanking you once again for the Pro Wrestling Post podcast. Thank you for listening to the Pro Wrestling Post podcast with Mark Madison. And thanks to Darewolf, also known as PJ Black, for his time on this interview. Remember to visit ProWrestlingPost.com for interviews, blogs, and upcoming events in your area. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you prefer. 